0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. This is more poor audio from the Instagram Live that uh, Rob Veris had with me. Thanks, sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, Rob. Thanks, Instagram Live. Check that out. It's a much longer thing. This is another 14 minutes, but the Instagram Live was maybe 45 minutes. So anyway, enjoyed it. Here it is for your listening.
1: You had this small army in the early 2000s before this 18 million skew universe that we're sitting in right now. You're still in charge of Beckett. Your brand still revolves around your database and your pricing. This is hypothetical, right? This is very hypothetical. You're running this company now. How would you approach it? How many people do you think you'd have to have? still doing
0: this would you rely strictly on scraping you're not ignoring any crisis source your dad is in on, uh, on open stuff you're looking at everything you can look at and some wiki approach wikipedia crowdsourced where you're getting as we did monthly surveys and initial correspondence enlisting a multitude of helpers some who were compensated in some sense but many not you just want to make it happen. So more power to the people than trying to be in the ivory tower pontificating about what the prices should be. Sure. 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 People want price guides to be accurate. They don't want to be inaccurate. That doesn't help anybody unless they are uniformly (laughs) inaccurate or uniformly overpriced, which the stamp catalogs were accused of that. Sure. If everything is double what it's good, then dealers know if sell as much as they can at the price guide price, but don't pay more than half when you're buying. So the relative pricing is important.
1: Yeah, you have algorithms in place, you know what the semi-stars are, the stars are, and it's pretty replicatable across multiple sets. Except for the exceptions. Yeah. yeah. Now, with the pricing, should you be proactive in the pricing and knowing this is where it's going to be, or more reactive in the pricing going, okay, that's what they're selling for. That's the We're going to take the two no, weeks to gather the data.
0: You can't do that. If you're a price guide, you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you're proactive. Okay. Because you're just going to get burned. They'll come sometimes. So you have to be reactive. You want to be reactive uh, with fast twitch muscle. Exactly. That you're real quick on the trigger to see the trend but you can't anticipate it. Right. you can just recognize a trend and up to that point, when it was monthly, the next month you're going to make another adjustment, but if you're a dealer, you have to think ahead, you have to be proactive to think, do I really want to sell that for this price, I think it's going up, and it's your card, people say, hey, here's what it is in the magazine, So buy it from them, we weren't selling cards, we didn't have cards to sell, but if you go to a dealer and say, I see what it is in the price guide, but here's my price, yeah, and if you don't like it, go next door, or As you would have down the street to the warehouse, same price, unfortunately, or a competitor. Yeah, Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, there's there's no law that says what you need to sell a card for.
0: You've got different prices. Let's see, and buying cards and selling cards, it can be a win-win. You can buy something for somebody, there, tickle pink that you bought it, and then you could put it out at at a higher price, and the next guy that buys from you is tickle pink. And then two years later, you buy it back from that guy who's happy (laughs) as long as the prices keep going up. Everybody's happy. But you can't have a hobby that requires everything to keep going up in order for it to be happy. There's gotta be some ups and downs. So accepting a mixed market is important. I'm hoping the things I like go up in value, but I'm not requiring them. In fact, if they go down, maybe I'll sell them and get something else. When a card goes down, a lot of times because the player's gotten bad or the set is perceived to be less in favor. But you do trades, you buy back cards. So that's the dynamic element.
1: Yeah, I believe that shop has to have liquidity. But all
0: dealers don't believe that. Yeah. They believe it needs to have cash flow. Yeah, And that's not the same as liquidity. But it turns out your cash flow is improved because of your liquidity. And that's something people my either don't believe. customers are distributors. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, they can be your competitors. Yeah. Oh. But they can also be symbiotic. Sure. It's, and that's the way it is. I mean, everybody can be a dealer. It's oh, yeah. There's no barrier to entry there. Barrier to entry is look around. Yeah, look around. The organization. Yeah.
1: I did seminars back in the day. Oh, I remember. For Upper Deck. And it was... You sat in yeah, on for one us. of... us. Yeah, yeah. We and, were yeah, a sponsor. You, Beckett was a sponsor. It was Upper Deck's Hobby 2000. Beckett came on board. And you attended one of them, which... 34-year-old Rob, this was like the ultimate, (laughs) Jim's in the back row, I better be on point because I'm talking about something that he is the expert on. So I'm there and I come up with a slide that we talk about to this day is the 12 steps of a sports card from someone parking a Suburban outside and bringing in all this stuff to when you, who purchased it online, get it in a bubble mailer. People Are like, what do you mean 12 steps? And I thought you'd appreciate this more than anybody else is that when you buy the cards, you have to break it by sport, you got to break it by year, but well, you don't have to, but you have to organize it. You have to organize yeah. it so, two different things what's a card worth, and then there's this one as well. So, you got to break it by sport, you got to break it by year, you got to break it by brand, you got to break it by subset within the brand, and you got to put them in the number order, you got to price it, you got to scan it. You got to map the front to the database. you've Got to map the back to the database. You have to intersort the cards into stock. You need to pull the card. You need to ship the card. It's twelve steps. Twelve steps from receiving it
0: to getting it in the hands of somebody else. And not everybody understands that. The point I made is that you can skip a bunch of steps, but it will cost you at volume. Right. Because to scale, you can pull a card way faster. I've thought about just one step, just alphabetize the cards.
1: Right, yeah,
0: exactly. And then who cares what year, who cares what sport, just I'm looking for Ken Griffey, hey, it's in the G's. Right. But there's a lot of G's. <laughs> you're, you're gonna have to slog through a bunch of Gretzky's. And are they alphabetized fully down to the full name of the Brett Gretzky and Wayne Gretzky. And how are they, how they organized within Gretzky? Is it by exactly. brand, by year? I have my own system, it's way less than 12 steps. <laughs> my volume is much smaller than yours, but I see the wisdom in what you're doing. And people don't realize if you bought the dynamics of buying a monster box now, somebody walks in with a 5,000 count box if it is unsorted they underestimate if it's unsleeved unsorted multi-sport that it can cost you a lot to get that set up if there's nothing good in it and you've got to be able to figure out on the spot how much you want to pay for it and i don't think you're factoring in or the person's factoring in the fact that monster box cost $9, okay? And so for you to offer them $9, which I've sold monster boxes for five bucks yeah. back in years ago, more than a decade ago, that's a 10th of a cent card, yeah. which as you recall was the going range. Yeah, There weren't great cards in there, but I wouldn't mind having the box back.
1: Well, I think a lot of it is, and I tell people this all the time, the labor is more than the cards. So many of the cards that we get in, yeah, the cost love of the card. The labor. Oh, I love it, yeah.
0: How many employees do you have that love the labor? Yeah. Actually, they probably love it too, but they want to get paid.
1: The cards are secondary to the 12 steps it takes from your random box. If you have a
0: large collection, that's the case. Nowadays, this, this is the era of small collections. So yes. being able to carry your collection, Fact. then sorting is not a big deal. Sorting is just looking at your cards and you have 100 cards. Yeah. And they're all slabbed. You're more worried about the weight. Yeah. But a monster box of cards, how many of your customers have more than five thousand cards in their collection? Maybe yours would be more than most. Right. If you go around the national or talk to people at a show, I think a lot of them, they're scared to death of having five thousand cards. They They only want to have five hundred. Yeah, they want to have one card. They want to have some special cards, right.
1: Yeah, a lot easier to
0: track, that's for sure. But yeah, my guy Ray, all day long, he just sits if there. If you offered a, a 5,000 count box of dollar cards, of legit dollar cards, right. and said, here's $5,000 worth of cards, what would you give me for it? I think most people would not trade, they certainly wouldn't trade a $500 card. Would they trade a $50 card? They'd probably trade a $50 card for $5,001 card. Because they're afraid of the labor. Because Maybe. they're afraid of the labor and there's no longer bragging rights for how many cards you have. Except if you're Rob Veris yeah. <laughs> He who dies with the most cards that's... Well don't die, but, yeah. but you've already had the most cards, I think. Yeah. Like we were talking about the Guinness Book of World Records, is that yes, you're corporate, but you're also an individual, or at least a family, let's say. Yeah. And mass that many cards is it's yeah. incomprehensible now. Yeah, they say so you had to start a long time ago. Yeah. But my
1: origin story goes back to nineteen seventy nine yeah. and leveling up every day since, but every every card has a home it's always been my thing there's such a wide variety of collectors out there the internet changed everything we talked about beckett marketplace briefly but basically you opened up the beckett database which was proprietary forever and you made it a tool where dealers could come in use that nomenclature use that pricing to push it to the beckett marketplace and eventually be able to marry that over to ebay and increment and decrement that was a huge game changer
0: it was a game changer it wasn't mass marketed like it could have been partly in my regime but mostly the guys that came after it but it was a monster yeah. and you were a big part of the success but it never reached its full potential otherwise there wouldn't be a calm scene now
1: yeah this is true it's a lazy business like a lot of people are afraid of the work they want to break how about healthy
0: respect for the work these are not minimum wage hours this is a lot of hours that are, if you put the, a real street value on the labor Unless you have systems in place, as you do, and a ready marketplace where they're going to sell, it's a loser. Yeah, it is. I don't know how people can buy a monster box or two of cards, much less a pallet. Yeah. You came back from the National one, you with a pallet. Yeah. Or two pallets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you integrated them in, certainly before the next National, maybe before the next month. I don't know how long it takes you to... Yeah, I really know weird. when I buy a, a box or two, it takes me a while.
1: Yeah. It's good staffing. We got guys that were 15 that are now 35. That still worked for me. That's priceless. Yeah,
0: it's trust. I watch guys grow up on my watch. I'm really proud of them because they were sharp when they got there. So, somebody walks in with a monster box right now and they say, I want to sell these. Do, do you give them a price or they give you a price?
1: I give them a price. I look at it. If it's 80s and 90s bulk, we just pass because it has no cash back. Okay.
0: Even if it's in the miracle order, doesn't
1: matter. Okay. Because my problem is, Jim, I might already have 13 of that no, card
0: in I understand. Okay, now let's move to the 2000s. Right. The Monster Box. If it's all in numerical order, okay. set order in numerical order, right. like the way you would do it, does that increase your percentage, or are you still not very interested because they're not...?
1: It's cards that I already own. Now, if it's a mix of inserts, parallels, stars, I might be able to throw something like store credit-wise at it. What people have to understand is, if they haven't seen my warehouse, then they don't get the fact that we already own it. I'll sit there and I'll stay. You know what? There's other shops. They don't have my inventory. They should be able to make you a better offer on it. But we're known as really strong buyers. It's just got to be something that is a lot easier to digest that. A good portion I don't already own. When I already own it over and over again, it makes it more difficult.
0: When you do get something you want to buy, does the person get a benefit from having the order that that they put into it? Yeah, because when you're paying... Is that 5% more that you're going to offer... Well, Whatever one, it would be.
1: One of the biggest changes, Jim, is obviously the minimum wage
0: was nine
1: dollars an hour just a few years ago, seemingly. You used to pay
0: thirty bucks to, to sort a monster box. Yeah. I thought.
1: Yeah. How much is it now? Probably fifty or sixty. We don't get as many monster boxes of base cards anymore. Most of what you get is little small chunks here and there. I don't have three, five thousand count. Prism and optic maybe. Some of the really high volume things, but most of the releases we don't get that kind of quantity in. But women have actually played the biggest role in sorting over the deck we've had women take stuff home and bring back a 5,000 count box the next day. It's crazy. They just seem more adept, task-focused. It's almost impossible to hire people that can identify cards, where they can look that in Rich Klein, where they can eyeball something right. and know automatically this is 1998 Leaf Fractal Matrix. That's the hard point because well, we go back all the way.
0: It's not that, that they can't identify. They can't even know if it's good or not. That's what I've learned from sitting next to people at a dollar box. I'll do the box after them. They passed over things that were just, but they didn't know. And there's a lot of cards they haven't seen. Rich Klein also has that ability to say hey not only do i know what this is but i know this is the tougher variation the tougher parallel because not everything's numbered Experience, so i'm sharpening yeah. my skill set by looking at some of these uh, nominated boxes you sold
1: the business and you we're briefly out of the business a little bit maybe just personal collecting and then you've come back. I remember we were at your dinner. What would you think if I did this? And now all of a sudden you've got a podcast that is a daily thing, wide variety of people coming on. And obviously you've got the gravitas like no other. And but to hear this is just it's great your perspective on a daily basis keeps you engaged in the business. Is this something that you're going to be continuing to do military? Well, forward? the
0: people that I respected, including you, said uh, they thought it was a good idea for me to do something. I thought, I want to be semi retired. I don't want to be fully retired. I don't want to go back to work either. <laughs> so this is fine. And I get to talk to people like you. I get great sponsors. I get great listeners. I get a lot of good feedback. Rich Klein has always been a close friend since he was Tremendous. Up. I knew him when he was a little kid. Listen, now he's a big kid. You were a little kid. Yeah. Big kid. Kid. I'm up to almost 800 of the Monday through Friday episodes. I'm still in fun. i got a lot of people I haven't interviewed. In case anybody's out there, it's <laughs> on my list. I, there's a bunch of them. Back in the day, you couldn't do a daily podcast because there wasn't enough going on. Yeah. Now, it's like Rich will email me and say, hey, did you just hear about this? You better do an episode on it. Sometimes I'll whip something out that day for the next day. It's fun also not having a payroll and not worrying about the buck stopping here. and Just being the elder statesman and enjoying it. The- I say, this is what makes it fun. Not just being here and seeing the hobbies in good hands. Changing of the guard. I'm, I'm the old guard. I'm the old guard. What does that make you? Uh, card <laughs> grandfather. That's great. Somebody called me Uncle Jim. I said, well, that's better than
1: grandpa. I think it's necessary. There's so much content today. Young kids. And it's different.
0: It's, it's different. different. It's not that I have to stay in a lane. It's just that I can talk about things I think I can speak to. You've live- And I've lived some things. started doing the tributes to these guys that have passed away. I'm realizing I'm reading obits written by people who never knew the person. I knew the person. And so they're worth 15 minutes of really remembering them in a more personal way.